0: To begin today reading a parable that we started about four weeks ago in preparation for our transition to a new facility God really put on our heart to be very proactive in uh, what's going what's to unite us. We're going to change venues, we're changing time. there's going to be a lot that happens and if we're not focused, we're not focused on the main things, there's going to be a lot of opportunity, even for the enemy, to come in and create division, create discord, uh, and really sort of uh, take us down some paths that, that, quite frankly, aren't necessary if we stay focused on what we need to be stay focused on. And so for the last three weeks, and we'll conclude it uh, today, my heart has been Lord speak to us individually, speak to us as a church, moving to the well. what What is going to keep us focused? What is going to keep us united? What are some foundational truths that we take from here that have always been present scripturally? But again, sometimes in our life when circumstances change, if we're not careful, we, we go into reactionary mode. The circumstances create in us, you know, kind of throw us out of our routine, kind of make us uncomfortable, maybe insecure. And in those insecurities and that discomfort in the newness, what can happen is we go back to our old patterns. We revert back to what we know and what we do to cope, to protect ourselves. It's self-protection. A lot of it isn't selfishness and and self-centeredness in the sense of gimme, gimme, gimme. A lot of times when we we as believers revert back, to our old flesh and our old way of speaking, our old way of reacting, our old way of thinking, a lot of times it's out of protect, trying to protect ourselves. Because we're uncomfortable and it's new and we're feeling insecure, we're feeling vulnerable, we're feeling exposed. And so for the last month we've been trying to keep us laser focused on eternal unchanging truths so that when the discomfort comes, when the insecurity comes, when the trials come, You don't turn inward and go back to the old. You actually latch on to biblical truth. That's the step of faith. That's the step of faith. When your emotions well up, when your old thought patterns well up, when the old, even physical habits well up, in a new situation, you have a choice to make. What are you going to grasp onto to see it through? And the physicality and the nature of where we're going, again... We celebrate it. We celebrate it without doubt. And yet, we've already seen over the past several weeks, the newness of it is bringing challenges. And a lot of it, in the end, boils down to, what's your focus? What have you been focusing on? And, And that's a question I answer daily when I walk there and I see new things as I pray about the future of the church, I am challenged with where is my focus? And when I get anxious, when I get nervous, when I ask, Lord, but what about this? And what about this? And what about this? Oftentimes, it's... because He doesn't want to answer the circumstantial questions, He wants me to focus on Him. He wants me to focus on His truth. He wants me to focus on what I already know. Not getting all the answers. Right? So that's what we've been doing. And... Four weeks ago, we started with uh, something called the parable of the life-saving station. And I want to read it to you again to re- reframe us and to uh, prep us. This will be our final sort of quote-unquote normal service here. And I thought um, in this transition of this particular Sunday, it really set the tone for, for where we're going to be on June 4th. So, Chad, if you can kill the big lights, we'll read this together. Parable of the life-saving station. On a dangerous seacoast. Where shipwrecks often occur, there once was a crude little life-saving station. The building was just a hut, and there was only one boat. But the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea. And with no thought for themselves, they went out day or night, tirelessly searching for the lost. Many lives were saved by this wonderful little station, so that it became famous. Some of those who were saved, and various others in the surrounding areas, wanted to become associated with the station and give of their time and money and effort for the support of its work. New boats were bought and new crews were trained. The little life-saving station grew. Some of the members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and so poorly equipped. They felt that a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge For those saved from the sea, they replaced the emergency cots with beds and put better furniture in an enlarged building. Now the life saving station became a popular gathering place for its members, and they redecorated it beautifully and furnished it as a sort of club. Less of the members were now interested in going to sea on life saving missions, so they hired lifeboat crews to do this work. The mission of life-saving was still given lip service, but most were too busy or lacked the necessary commitment to take part in the life-saving activities personally. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet, and half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick. Some had skin of a different color. Some spoke a strange language. And the beautiful new club was considerably messed up. So the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club where victims of shipwreck could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities as being unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal pattern of the club. But some members insisted that life-saving was their primary purpose and pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station. But they were finally voted down and told that if they wanted to save the lives of all various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast. They did. As the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old. They evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was founded. If you visit the seacoast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs along that shore. Shipwrecks are still frequent in those waters, but now most of the people drown. So as we think about that, pretty sobering, isn't it? Pretty sobering, Now, I've thought about that over the last four weeks. Because, what is 1290 Grand all about? Is it just a really nice place, and suddenly it's going to become the Club Med of Ojai, right? And we're going to have barbecues and potlucks, and it's going to be—it's a beautiful facility. State of the art technology in there. It's going to be great, quite honestly. And therein lies the challenge. Therein will lie a challenge for every person in this room. What is it going to be about? Because there's going to be there's going to be uh, perhaps a temptation to turn it inward. And, and we're going to have to be very guarded against that. Because as soon as it turns inward about me, then, it's, then, then you're just this far away from division and discord and disunity and division within the body. Because then everyone is clamoring and fighting for their own turf. And the whole purpose of the whole move and transition is lost. And so it's a very sobering, very sobering transition. I celebrate on the one hand, but on the other hand, there's a part of me that is walking very gingerly through this. Because I have, I have served in very large churches in Oceanside. We were a church of four or 5,000, and it was, it's still a beautiful facility. And I know what a beautiful facility can do in good ways, but I also know what a beautiful facility can become and idol. And we 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 will have to walk through this very carefully as a church family. As a church family. Doesn't mean we're not thankful, doesn't mean we're not grateful, doesn't mean we're not celebrating the the twenty eighth the over there, the dedication. It's gonna be awesome. If you haven't been there recently, my guess is you're gonna walk around like this. Right? And that's great. I still do that. It's awesome. It's humbling. You walk in and you see what's what's been done and you're like, wow. It is a God-glorifying facility. And God has used gifts. He has used talents. He has provided miraculously for it. Our role is to steward it. We don't own it. We're stewards. We get the privilege of being the first wave to come in. Amen? Amen? We get the privilege of laying the foundation for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We get the privilege of laying the foundation of worship, of fellowship, of Bible studies, of potlucks. We're just the first wave of a facility that I am praying will, will far outlast all of us when we're, when we're in heaven. Amen? We are privileged to be a part of the work of God in the Ohio Valley that is way bigger than any one person in this room. It's way bigger than any of us. We don't own it. You don't own anything. It's God's work. And for whatever reason, in His grace and in His sovereignty, He, he has said, you know what? You. This is this is what I'm doing in the Ohio Valley, and I'm, I've chosen you. And if you're not humbled by that, you, you got to take a few moments. That is a staggering thought. That God has a plan for the Ohio Valley, for His church in the Ohio Valley and He has allowed us the privilege to be a part of a new build, a renovation to a build for something as part, part of His kingdom that is designed for His purposes in this valley long after we're all gone. That's a humbling, humbling place to start and that's where we need to be. That's where we need to be and that's why For the last three, four weeks, Shai, you can put the screen up. We've been focused on, if you look in your notes there, right, we started with a message that says it's not about us. We understood that our purpose on this planet, our purpose in following Jesus, it's not about us, it's about glorifying God. As we are transformed more and more into Jesus, it's not about us. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and praise and glorify your Father in heaven. Everything in your life that Jesus is doing, has done, isn't just for you. It's for Him to demonstrate that He's alive and well in 2017 and is still transforming people. Amen? Your life is simply designed to glorify Him, be an ornament. We talked about that, to adorn the doctrine. Your life is simply a testimony, to be a testimony to God's grace. And God's ability to still transform. So it's not about us, right? Then we looked in the second week. It was because you say so. And I just touched, It's humility. It's humility. And, and when you go to 1290 grand, you should sit long enough to be humbled. Because I still can't figure out how it all happened. In the human sense. But that's been the story of our church, our church family. We started on a Saturday night in a living room. And then we moved here and kept it on Saturday nights. And you know what? I was told it wasn't going to last. It wasn't going to work. Saturday night services don't work in Ohio. That's why no one does them. But by faith, we felt God was still calling us to stay Saturday nights, and we did. So we're kind of used to this, oh, it's only God. In fact, the fact that we're even in this building at this time today is only a god. I would never have thought of asking another senior pastor to move his church service so we could come in. That still that still floors me, humbles me. And so this move is humbling. This move is humbling. And then last week Turn to uh, Romans 15. We'll, we'll launch out there. Romans 15. Last week we looked at biblical unity. As we move forward to the well, we need to really be clear on what biblical unity is and isn't. Right? Romans 15, verses 5 and 6. it as well. Romans 15, verses 5 and 6. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that, right, purpose statement, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is our memory verse for the month. Right? May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity. Right? If you were here last week, we had Robert play a C chord, and and a chord, when played correctly, is very harmonious. Right? Then we had him play the chord with one or two fingers off. Right? And the, the, the definition of unity really is harmony, is oneness. And we looked at that, right? Because here's the thing. When a church is biblically united, it's a testimony. If we look at the diversity of personalities in this room, the diversity of ages, the diversity of spiritual growth and maturity in this room, the fact that we're all together and united in Christ, that in and of itself is a miracle. It's a testimony. And that's what it's supposed to be according to. Verse 6, "...so that with one heart and mouth..." you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Turn to Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4, and we looked at this last week. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the pond of peace. What we saw last week is biblical unity is not created by us. Verse 3 says we are to be diligent to make every effort to keep the unity. Okay, very important. Positionally, 1 Corinthians 12 says when you are a believer, you were baptized into what? The body of Christ or the church. You are already united. Positionally, we are united in Christ. Ephesians 4.3 says it is everybody's responsibility in this room, if you're a believer, to maintain the unity. You have that responsibility. It's not my job. Alone. He's speaking to believers. Verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Every believer has a responsibility to do your part in keeping the unity of the body of Christ. And so last week we asked ourselves, well, what is biblical unity? Not just unity, because unity is kind of a neutral word. You have to be very careful that you say we're united, because you can be united around false doctrine. So be very careful. We're talking about biblical unity, right? And in your notes there, quick review, bi- unif- unity is not uniformity. There is diversity in the body of Christ. Different gifts, different personalities, okay? So unity is not uniformity, okay? There can be diversity, 1 Corinthians twelve twelve. Unity is not union. Just because you join a church, just because you become a member, doesn't necessarily mean there's unity. It just means you might have had a contractual arrangement, something external. Okay? So unity is not necessarily based on union. And last week we said unity, biblical unity, you have to be real careful here, here, is not tolerance. Specifically is not the world's definition of tolerance. I want to share something that I shared last week, and then I want to add a little bit more. It's, a, it's an incredible piece, an article that I read, and it's very important for us, very important, and let me explain why. We anticipate, and it would be a wonderful, wonderful answer to prayer, that when we move that we will get new people. Great. I, okay. Awesome. What that will mean will that there, there will be more diversity and varying opinions and thoughts and attitudes and whatever else they're all going to bring. Without knowing it, oh, if you've been with us for any length of period of time, we're pretty united here in where we stand on Scripture and doctrinally. There's a unity here. We have to be very clear on what biblical unity is as we move forward and as potentially the Lord brings more people and one of the things that, that we have to really guard against is equating biblical unity with the world's definition of tolerance. Have to be really clear about that, okay and I want to read this again just to kind of to, to repeat it it is, it is something that is, is, is crucial as a church and even for you individually, for me individually that we really understand this because this tolerance worldview it's everywhere. And if we're not careful, it's coming into the church. So I just want to read this again. It says this, Tolerance merely accepts the reality that differences, conflicts, disagreements, and contradictions are here to stay. It thus tells people that there is no right or wrong position, belief, or behavior, but that all people are just different. When tolerance becomes the rule, true unity becomes impossible because truth is cast aside. Tolerance stops pursuing truth, opting in exchange for the acceptance of all ideas and practices. The bitter irony of the tolerance and diversity agenda is that it cannot tolerate or embrace as equally valid those who hold to universal truth or who believe in an exclusively right religion. Therein it is self-defeating. Okay, we, we have to be very careful. It says, The bottom line is that if tolerance is practiced in the church, then truth will be minimized, love will be exchanged for acceptance, and true biblical unity will be forfeited. Very important. We spent a lot of time last week. Biblical unity at its core is rooted in truth. We're united at its core, we are united in truth. Now, what is truth? Well, one, truth is a person. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, one aspect of our united, being biblically united in truth, is our profession of faith in Christ. Amen? John 17:17 17, 17 says, Sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. So, our unity, last week, the core of our, of our time together... Our unity, our biblical unity is rooted in truth. Truth in our profession of Jesus, truth in our adherence to scripture being truth, right? It's as if when, it, when if, you know, we, we had the piano tuned at the well, right? And, and Bill, then he bring in his little tuning fork, right? So he has the, the, the guy has a tuning fork and he, he uses that one. To tune our piano, and probably to tune all the other pianos, to the one tuning fork. This is our tuning fork. And if we're all tuning our lives to the same truth, we're united. Amen? The problem happens when we all get our own tuning forks. We think we're in tune, but the end result is chaos. So we're united in truth. We're united in truth, right? And, and, and we gotta, we got to be real clear on that. We've got to be real clear on that. It doesn't mean we're going to agree necessarily on, on every uh, you know, doctrine. There's core doctrines, and then there's sort of peripheral doctrines, if you want to call them that. Even on Wednesday nights with Bill and his teaching, we've heard varying opinions on some scriptures that, quite frankly, are open to varying opinions. That's okay. But when it comes to core, core doctrine, core truth, we don't yield. We don't compromise on core truth, on the essentials of the faith, right? That is what unites us, is truth. So as we move forward, we're going to stay united. Who we are in Christ, united in truth, right? The other aspect that, that will unite us is love. But then we again, you have to be very careful because you got to understand what is biblical love, right? Turn to John thirteen. John thirteen thirty four. Jesus says this. I love this especially as we move forward to a new facility with, with potentially a lot of people coming to, to check it out, quote unquote. John thirteen, thirty four. A new command I give you love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By then, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So, in a couple weeks, we're going to be at the well. We may get a whole lot of visitors. How are they going to know we're followers of Jesus? By our love for one another. What kind of love? Because if you're not clear on what kind of love, we can go down all kinds of strange paths, right? So turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter 1. We're going to look at, a wonderful passage that we're gonna take with us to the well. First Peter one verse twenty two. And I love this because it begins with our being united in the truth of the gospel, our being united in salvation, right? And then it takes us into love. First Peter 1, 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the what? Truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring Word of God. What is he saying? He says, hey, believers, you've been born again by the Word of God. Amen. Woohoo! Is that a woo-hoo? woo-hoo! Then he says this, right, in verse 22. Now that you have done that, have sincere love for your brothers. Love one another deeply from the heart. It kind of sounds interesting. If you don't, if you're like, he goes, hey, now that you're saved, uh, love one another. And by the way, love one another. If you're reading that in some in some translations, you're like, why does he say I'm supposed to love e- love each other twice? There's something going on in this passage where it says in the, it says the first part. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, that word love the first time is phileo. That's brotherly love. That's Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. You see, when you, when you are united in Christ, there is a, a fellowship that happens. Phileo love is brotherly love, is social love, is potluck love. I call it potluck love. Phileo love is, I like you, you like me, we enjoy each other's company. That's phileo love. So he says, hey, now that you've been saved, have phileo love, enjoy each other's company, but don't stop there. And that's what he means in the second phrase. Look what he says there. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have phileo love, brotherly love for your brothers. Then he says, agape one another deeply from the heart. It's a new word. It's agape love. Agape love is John 3, 16 love. For God so loved the world that he gave. Agape love is self-sacrificial love for the benefit of the person being loved. Nothing expected in return. See, here's the danger. And this is is the parable of the life-saving station. If we go, if we even stayed here, but if we go there... And we only focus on phileo love and hanging out with each other and having a good old time. That can turn inward real quick. I like you. I like hanging out with you. You make me happy. You see how quickly phileo love can become selfish? It's all about what you're getting from the other person. I like your company. I like, I like, I like. It has nothing to do with the other person. It's phileo love can become very selfish very quickly. And that's why some churches can really stagnate really quickly because they just stop at phileo love and they think they're loving one another. No, because when Jesus says they'll know each other by your love, it was agape. So here's self-sacrificial love. I love you. I'm willing to sacrifice my time, my energy, my resources strictly for your benefit. I don't expect anything back from you. Radical change, isn't it? That's the kind of church that Jesus says when someone walks in and they see a church loving each other self-sacrificially without wanting anything in return, that's the kind of church that people are going to be like, hmm, something's happened here. Because what do we live in? We live in a very self-centered culture where there's always got to be something in it for me. Always got to be something in it for me. What am I getting? Why should I? Why? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Right? There's always got to be something in it for me. Agape love, what he's saying is, hey, don't stop at phileo. Go to agape. Love each other self-sacrificially with expecting nothing in return. Now, here's the challenge. When does self-sacrificial love become sacrificial? When you sacrifice something, which means what? Uh, it's inconvenience. Doesn't fit your schedule. You, you don't get any at a boy or at a girls. Might cost you some money. Self-sacrificial love becomes self-sacrificial love when you have to sacrifice. When you have to sacrifice. Ugh. Let's hang out in filetal time. Because phileo time fits my schedule. Phileo time I enjoy. Phileo time gives me esteem and I get pats on the back. And boy, I get a star from God next to my name. You know, phileo love makes me feel good. Self-sacrificial love, nobody even said thank you. I came and no one else showed up. We moved to Tina two times. Three times! And Tina didn't even say thank you to me. You see? I could do that because we're like brothers and sisters. See, if you're going to, if you're going to move Tina, three times? If you're going to move Tina three times, self-sacrificially, you go, you do it with joy and the power of the Holy Spirit, and you bless her. If you're going there because it's going to be time to hang out and she's going to... I heard pizza. I heard there's going to be pizza. If you're going there with a hint of what's in it for me, you're stuck in phileo. It's just fellowship time and then you're really, really close to getting your feelings hurt if it doesn't go your way or someone says something. When you live agape love in the power of the Holy Spirit because it must be the power of the Holy Spirit, you are free to just keep giving. That's self-sacrificial love. That's what He's talking about, right? That's what He's talking about here. And as we move to a beautiful facility with a lot of opportunity to serve and to bless others, it's going to be a choice I make and a choice you make and we make to exhibit agape love. Just give it away not expecting anything in return. And i got to tell you, that's got to be a work of God. That is a fruit of the Spirit. That is not a self-generated, that is not a man-made thing. Agape love is crazy in the worldview, It is absolutely crazy and impossible. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's the first fruit of the Spirit. Agape love must be of the Holy Spirit. And, and one direct application of this, okay, moving forward in a very practical way, is demonstrating agape love through our, through our words. Through our words. What comes out of our mouth, right? And it's weird, I don't know if you've ever equated the two, but a very practical application of self-sacrificial love is... The nature of your speech. The nature of your speech. So turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to see the connection between agape love and our speech. Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4.29 you your turning there. Anybody ever hear the phrase, loose lips sink ships? Right? Loose lips sink ships, right? Very, generationally, the front row here is like, what? Right? This, this young generation like, loose lips? What? What are they talking about? Right? So there is a phrase, in case you didn't know, it says, loose lips sink ships. And, and it's a slogan from World War II. And, and let me just, let me give you a little help. This phrase was coined as a slogan during World War II as part of the U.S. Office of War information's attempt to limit the possibility of people inadvertently giving useful information to enemy spies, right? Another campaign slogan was careless talk costs lives. So loose lips sink ships, meaning, hey, it's war. You don't know who's around. So watch what you say, because what you say can have catastrophic consequences. Right? Another person says, unguarded talk may give useful information to the enemy. Another one says, don't talk carelessly because you don't know who's listening. Right? It's a warning to be careful about what you say publicly. Right? Loose lips sink ships. I like to say, loose lips can also sink churches. Loose lips, right? And I shared with you one of the challenges that we're all going to face when we go to the new facility is that we're used to this. And because we're quote-unquote renters, we have, this, have had for six years sort of this general acceptance that this is not our place, so the colors are what the Wesleyan Church wants, the fellowship, we're thankful that we have it. And so we're not... We've approached this place very, very lovingly, very accepting of what's been the blessing given to us, right? Not our place to to be critical, not our place to become like this, because it's not ours, right? So for six years, we've not had to deal with color of carpet and that we're in pews because it's just been received graciously. Over there, there's going to be a huge temptation, and I talked about this last week, to elevate your taste or my taste above truth. Meaning, you can walk in there right now, and if you're not careful, loose lips can sink ships. I can do the same thing. I can walk in that place, and I could point out 10,000 different things that I would do different. And I could just let her rip if I just felt the need to thumbs up and thumbs down and give a like and a dislike and go on tweet and do whatever I'm going to do because we live in this society that says, just express your opinion. Who cares? Right? We live in this this culture that says, just say it. Just dun 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 and push in there and it's your opinion. You have to be real careful that you're not bringing the world into the church. And that you're not going to elevate taste over truth over there. Right? Look at Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any... Anyone, everyone say any. Any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. But only... Everyone say only. Only what is helpful... For building others up according to their needs. Their needs. Oh, agape. Their needs. Not your needs. Their needs. That it may benefit those who listen. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Get the self-sacrificial part of that. Get the other-centered part of that. That it may benefit those who Listen, what comes out of my mouth is designed for others, but to benefit others. That's biblical. That's the biblical view of your comments and your words out of your mouth. Do not let any, but only. It's agape. Right? And that word, that word unwholesome, some versions say corrupt, some say corrupting, The definition, rotten, spoiled, if the pictures are rotten fruit, decay, decay. And I'm thinking, decay, rotten. Don't let anything decaying, rotten come out of your mouth. And I'm like, what could I do? So I went to my fridge this morning, and I'm like, what is in my fridge? You want to smell this? Betty's Betty's cringing, right? Don't let anything rotten, decaying come out of your mouth. Anyone ever have a time when you walk in your house and you're pretty sure something may have passed away in your walls? Anyone? Right? You just walk in you're like, John... I think it's there behind, right? You know something just by the odor of it. The smell. Something is dead and decaying. That's what he's saying. Our words create an atmosphere. And the question for all of us, not just there, but in your house, at your work, in your marriage, with your kids, what atmosphere, what odor, what smell do your words create in the environment? Because if I open this up, yeah, it's going to be unpleasant. There's going to be an odor emanating from this decaying thing. And he's saying, don't let anything come out of your mouth that is like this. Right? And it's interesting because he doesn't, then he, he doesn't give some laundry list of all these bad things. He switches it. And look at what he switches he switches to a positive thing. So I'm, to say, I'm not going to give you a laundry list of, what, of all these bad things not to say. In fact, the way he answers that, well, what, what, what do you mean? I, what can't I say then? He flips it around. Look what he says. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So he says, hey, don't create an atmosphere of rotting, decaying, Stuff coming out of your mouth, he says, but do this. Whatever comes out of your mouth, ask yourself, is this building somebody up, and is it benefiting somebody? That's the check. He doesn't have to go into line items about, this is okay, this is not okay, this is okay. Can I? Do? Here's the three questions I now ask myself. Is what coming out of my mouth creating a decaying atmosphere? Is it helpful for somebody? Is it building someone up? Is it to their benefit? If you ask those three questions, watch what happens to your speech. They say on average, years ago they used to say that women speak three times as many words as men. Maybe you've heard that before. They did a recent study. I read recent studies this week where actually men and women Speak about the same number of words per day. 16,000. 16,000. If you were to do the math and you say, okay, 16,000 over 60 years, those of us who have been. You know how many words you would speak in 60 years as an average of 16,000 per day? 350 million. Probably more. Probably more. Just average. So over 60 years, some in here. You've spoken over 350 million words. Now, put those three questions against 350 million words. Yikes. There's a yikes moment. Right? Because agape love comes into our language to be self sacrificial for the benefit of somebody else. In the sacrificial sense, here's here's an application. I can demonstrate agape love to Kathy by choosing not to say something because it wouldn't be to her benefit. That would be sacrificial, that restraint. Restraining myself from commenting, opining. Hmm. Hmm. That that shirt she's wearing. (sighs) Is it going to be to her benefit? Is it going to be helpful? Is it going to create a bad odor if I really tell her what I think about that shirt? Right? Or is it going to create a wound? (laughs) Right? Right? So this idea of agape, self-sacrificial love, comes into our language. It's pretty clear. Don't let anything unwholesome come out. Don't let anything rotting and decaying come out. But only what is helpful to build someone up, only for their benefit according to their needs. Now, if someone walked into a church and that was the norm, how many of you think they'd want to keep coming? See, See, when the world comes into the church... And the church is in division and not united. When the church is backbiting and gossiping and rumor mongering and, and talking trash around each other's back. You know what? Someone from the world comes in and sits right here and says, because they're listening to your conversations before church. They are. They are listening. They're listening to you, Selma, Right? And they're watching. They're watching. Oh, hmm. This they're watching all of you. If they come into an environment that is no different than the world, why would they want to come back? This place is just like my work. These people talk the same as my house. Why would I want to get up early on a Sunday and come here? Right? The thing that will set the church apart is when someone comes in and sees true biblical unity. When they see true biblical love, when they hear words of affirmation, words that benefit each other, words that build each other up, I got to believe that they want to come back. Because why? That's a work of God. That's a work of God. Now, when you leave here, you're going to have a choice to apply this or not. And some of you are, huh? But. If you say I speak about 16,000 words a day and I'm not supposed to let anything unwholesome come out of my mouth, but only what's beneficial and helpful, I might only be able to speak (laughs) 5,000. That's the point. Exactly. You said I'm not supposed to... The Bible says we're not supposed to let anything unwholesome come out, out of our mouth, but only what is helpful and beneficial... You know what? If I try that at work, they're going to wonder what got into me. Exactly. You mean, if I try that at home with my spouse and my kids, if I come and I start talking less unwholesome and, 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 and my words create a positive environment in my house and I'm speaking words that benefit and help people in my house, the people in my house might think I'm crazy. Transformation. That's where God gets the glory. When you allow Him through His Spirit to let Agape love flow, even through your language, watch out because the world will be confused. Man, what happened to her? Every Monday it's na 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 She comes in there and just immediately goes into negativity and And you come in Monday and you're like. Hi, how are you? How was your day? How was your weekend? And really? That's really good. How many of you would have coworkers who would like fall out of their chair? It, it's amazing. If we'll just take the simplicity of agape love and put it into our language. That it's self-sacrificial for the benefit of somebody else. So now I can speak words of affirmation, words of encouragement, words of love, and not expect anything back. I can tell you, Kathy, that is a beautiful shirt, and I really love that. It looks great, matches your eyes. That's not what you said, Pat. And so uh, I can say that I can agape love for her benefit to bless her and walk away without needing any, oh, thank you. I can just, I can just be a blessing, self sacrificially bless. And when I am tempted to be critical, and and destructive, and hurtful, and harmful with my words, Ephesians 4.29, through the Holy Spirit, will come and go, Right? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Because it's a choice you and I will have to make. Every day. Numerous times a day. Because on average, we speak about (laughs) 16,000. So when you leave here, even, even before you leave the fellowship hall, you'll have choices to make to demonstrate agape love even through our speech. Even through our speech. And my prayer for us now and as we move to our new place is that we would be a church that is united in truth, And that is united in love. And one of the ways we manifest that is our uncompromising adherence to Scripture. Amen? And our commitment to walk in love. To love one another with agape love. Self-sacrificially. Self-sacrificially. If we do that, I believe, I believe God will be glorified, God will be pleased, and the well will be used for His purposes for many years to come. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, thank You. Thank You for speaking to us today about agape love, that we are united in truth, but we're also united in love. Agape love. And it was demonstrated by you, Jesus. 1 John 4, 7-11 Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Ephesians 5 1 and 2. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us as a fragrant offering. And sacrifice to God. Jesus, this morning, we are reminded of your love, your self sacrificial love, ultimately demonstrated in the cross. And as we take this time of reflection, We pause and we're challenged at the heart about the kind of love we demonstrate in our own lives. This church is filled with phileo love and and this church, quite frankly, is filled with agape love. But Lord, today we are challenged with our words, with our language. We're challenged with the times that we don't speak wholesome words, but in fact it's unwholesome, it's corrupt, it's corrupting words. The words that come out of our mouth are critical, they're biting, they're hurtful, they create an unpleasant odor. Lord, so many times what we speak is not helpful, it's not even beneficial, in fact, our words tear people down. And so, we confess this before you. We confess that we're often too quick to speak. We confess that oftentimes we're insensitive and uncaring about how our words may impact others. You say in Luke 6.45, The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. Proverbs 4.23 Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. So it's a heart issue. Scripture's clear. What comes out of our mouth comes out of the overflow of our hearts. And so, Father, we are laid bare before You this morning and we confess the condition of our hearts. And we ask You to change our heart because if You change our heart, if we love You with all our heart, then our words will change. In the power of the Holy Spirit, our words will change as our heart changes. So, Father, we confess our sin in this area. We turn, we make the choice to turn, and we yield now to the Spirit. For the fruit of the Spirit is love. Agape love. And that's what we desire. To be loving in our actions and our words. So in this time of communion, Lord, we will reflect on You. We'll reflect on Jesus agape love for us and we will choose to yield and to be those who build others up because agape love is our desire. So we'll distribute the elements and then we'll take communion after everyone's been served. A word of encouragement In this uh, area of our speech, a couple words of encouragement before we leave. One of the biggest challenges that I personally have faced in in this yieldedness and this transformation, even of my language, is that over time it's just become so habitual. I say things and I react the way I raised, and it was just second nature, right? Ephesians 4, that passage, if you read starting in. Uh, Verse 22, it's about putting off the old and putting on the new, which includes our language. So sometimes you have to recognize, maybe it's just habit, and I'm I'm so blind, I have a blind side because it's habit. It might be that. The other area that, that might make changing your speech very challenging, sometimes we say things because we feel like it's the only way we can protect ourselves we're wounded, we're hurt, we're feeling verbally attacked, we're feeling just overwhelmed, and sometimes we feel like the only thing i got left is to fire back this way. I understand that. And it is a work of God that will bring that self-restraint at those moments. Even in those moments where everything in you cries out to punch back verbally and protect yourself that is the time when you say, Lord, I can't do this because if it's left up, up to me, I'm letting both barrels fly. But when you yield and you let the Spirit of God demonstrate agape love, even in that moment of persecution, even in that moment of trial and, and anger and hurt and pain, and you allow God to really direct your speech in that moment, He will get the glory. And you will realize He's not finished with you yet. Even in this area, He is not finished with you yet. So leave encouraged. Leave encouraged. But I don't know about you, but I still have thousands of words left for this day. (laughs) Which means there's thousands of decisions left for each of us this day. But if we make the godly ones, He gets the glory. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and let's sing. They will know we are Christians by our, what? Love.